Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Recording and this is out now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron and as always this is Abe. <laughs> out now is a film podcast as Abe and I are discussing new movies weekly. We also bring in discussion about the latest movie trailers, box office results and predictions, a callback to past films of the similar to the main film of the week, games, and other fun stuff. This is episode seventy nine and we are talking Cloud Atlas this week. And joining us to discuss Cloud Atlas, we have. Writer for things I know about the movies and movie SmackDown, the man who was once a ship captain in the 1850s, a composer in the 1930s, and a female gunshoe in the 1970s, Adam Gentry. That is the best introduction I have ever had. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> and also, we have founder and editor of FirstShowing.net, once a hitman in the 70s, a black market doctor from a futuristic Korea, and soon to be a post-apocalyptic soothsayer in Hawaii, Alex Billington. Yo, what's up? How's it going? All of those things. Uh, All of those things are true. I like that. No, I was worried my introduction wouldn't be as good, but I'm I'm down. I'm down. Can't wait for my future. <laughs> All right. So, uh, hey, as long as I get to be the chick, we're good. <laughs> it's not the first time you've said that. Oh, Sounds appropriate. Yes. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, yeah, we're discussing Cloud Atlas today. Big film to talk about. So, you know, I'm looking forward to this. I've been looking forward to talking about this film in depth for a while. But before that, we have plenty of announcements to get through. First, frequent friend of the sh- guest of the show, Mark Hoban, celebrated a birthday yesterday, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Happy birthday to Mark. Happy birthday, Mark. Congratulations, good sir. And um, also, let's see, Abe, last week, uh, we, when we, saw, we watched Paranormal Activity 4. Yes, we did. And it was brought up that someone said something in Spanish at the end, in the very end credits of that, like at the very end of the credits in that movie. Post, post, like the uh, the production logo scene. Someone's like there's some scene after that. And to anyone that was concerned, because we did not know what the Spanish was, the lady said, "Right here, it all begins." I don't know what that means. <laughs> kind of have an idea what that means. I don't care that it's much. Just gonna be a paranormal five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just wanted to say because I got that comment, and I'm like, well, I guess I should because we were so concerned with what that meant. So thank you, Julian Aguilera, who I believe is Alan Aguilera's brother, for pointing that out to us. <laughs> All right. Uh, what else? Okay, we got emails. We got lots, yes, we did. Of, lots and lots of emails. Well, we got some emails. First, uh, we got another one from. We got another Avengers email. Um, we have. We've had a contest going of who who people want to see in the next Avengers movie and why, and you know that person would win a Avengers Blu-ray. I've already decided on the winner because I like last week's 
uh, from Dennis Boot. But I still like this, uh, this you know, that we got from Joe Jans as well. I would like to see the Scarlet Witch. I am hoping with this there will be some X-Men crossover as well, a conclusion with the Scarlet Witch uttering the phrase, No more mutants! That, that's an answer that is okay for public opinion, but if I were making the movie only for myself, I want to put Mysterio in as the real villain. The guy lives for theatrics. Give him a movie. You can even have Bruce Campbell play him. <laughs> so, that's a, another another Avengers option. Uh, one day, one day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alex, who would you <laughs> want to see another Avengers movie? Uh, I just want to, I really want to see Wasp and Ant-Man together, like, the dynamic of them. I mean, I know that's not a, like, a Mysterio level of craziness, but I just want to see that happen. That'd be cool. I'd like, yeah. Nice. yeah. I want to see what Edgar Wright does. Maybe he'll put Wasp there. That's what I'm saying. Is it, you know, is that going to be the spinoff after? Are they going to be introduced in Avengers? And I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. That conversation went down. It's okay. You can do Ant-Man. And he's like, can I have Wasp? It's like, yeah, sure. Take it. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, she's, she's got to be... I don't know. She'll be introduced at some point. I it'd, be, it'd be weird if, like, Fox owned Wasp and, like, Edgar Wright couldn't use him for or her for <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Who knows? Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. We have... Let's see. I put in I put in a question on... Or a question for people to... I put it in... <laughs> I asked people to ask questions to us about Cloud Atlas since we were doing Cloud Atlas on this week's show, and we got one from Jim Dietz. Uh, which character was the most distracting in Cloud Atlas? I think we could probably get to this in our review, but anyone have a one offhand that they want to mention. Distracting. Distracting. The uh, the interrogator, because I wasn't sure if that was the agent. And I was like, uh, hmm. I guess they all look Asian to some degree. But yeah, it, that that was the only one that I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder who's playing that guy. That um, was distracting, though. I don't know if that's clearly distracting, but uh, yeah, I mean, we can get into it later. But that's just, I, yeah, I have I have one, but I. I I think it'll probably fit better in the context of this discussion. Okay, yeah. Abe. Yes. In in light of the yellow facing controversy, you <laughs> your yourself as an Asian male, are were you, were you offended in any way by the, the the representation of people in Cloud Atlas? And this is a serious answer, no. Uh, <laughs> and that's primarily because if you're in the future and you're taking things in terms of, okay, well, Asians are X number of people. I have no problem with it being that they're in Neo-Soul, so there's no issue with that. I, I didn't even actually think about it. That's a good question. So you don't even, you don't, you don't see color. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Everything, every, yeah. I'm, I'm like Stephen Colbert. <laughs> hey, guess what? I'm black. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> that explains that shade of gray that I see when I see you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, learning so much today. This is awesome. <laughs> no, me too. Out now, the world is brightened. Out now, yeah. um, I should announce. I just wish I could see Alex's picture right now with this little box. It's a little question mark. If I could see his picture, I mean, it'd be complete, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, let's see. A few weeks ago, Abe, um, we had a winner for our Thor contest, which we probably, I don't think we announced on the show. but uh, I, think, I think we made a quickly, briefly mentioned it, but yeah, I was really excited to, to hear about that too. Yeah, we've had a Thor contest going since episode 8 of the show, <laughs> and so it's finally over, so thanks yeah. Dion. Thanks Dion for being on Tom's and bringing that to an end. Dion. And let's see, last question I have here, uh, this is from a Adam G. How does Abe maintain, how does Abe maintain his trim figure? Carb counting? Hmm, good question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of running, and some martial arts. 
Adam, I'm sure you're familiar with the martial arts. Um, I, you know, I, I've taken a class or two here and there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Fun. <laughs> so, so thanks, Adam G, for that question, whoever you are. That's like, you know, I, I'm glad that people like that don't just have an interest in the show, like, when you guys are at a professional level. I'm glad that people actually want to know about your lives, and they look up to you as, like, role models and stuff. It's, it's nice. It's nice that, that, is, that is the deepest thing everyone, anyone has ever said about our show. <laughs> it's nice. To, actually, wait, I had one more email, too. Wait, no, I gotta find Oh, it from, uh, where is it? Because... Is it the re-up by Dennis? Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. Where is it? Okay, yeah, okay, because I sent in, I, did, I sent Dennis an email saying that he won the Avengers contest, so he said, cool, by the way, I also like Vision as a new character, because I think Summer Glau would make a fine Scarlet Witch, so Scarlet Witch coming back twice in this, okay, alright, yeah. and maybe you guys should be called Audis and claim to be the belly button of the podcast universe. <laughs> that could be a good thing, or... That's a trademark right there. There you go, Audis. Alright, so, let's move on now. That's, that's plenty of announcements for one day. Let's get to know everybody, where each week we try to ask each other a few questions to set the, better set the tone for the podcast and better get to know everybody. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start this one off right here. I'm gonna go with Abe. Yes. Where are you setting up shot, shop in, you know, this, in a future, in a, in, in a Cloud Atlas world? Which time period's the place that says, hey, I should live here? Uh, good question. It wouldn't be in the 70s, because I don't want to get killed by Hugo Weaving. Or I guess, anyway, she's being chased down all the time. Uh, I really like that, um... <laughs> I really like that yeah. nursing home. That's <laughs> that, I was actually thinking about that, but I was thinking, nah, that's too easy. No, I, I like the uh, the composers. I think, I forget what, is that like the 18-somethings? Uh, the composer guys, and... Uh, it's like the, in... the 1930s. Oh, is it the 30s? <laughs> Alright, yeah. So there you go. Right after the Roaring Twenties. Great question. The 30s? Wow. <laughs> Pre-World War One. Pre-World War II. Hey, really? <laughs> <laughs> I just woke up like two minutes ago. <laughs> you said that with some confidence. That's what made Wow. Yeah, what's the name? History? Yeah, no, it's kind of close to that. <laughs> anyway, all right. Alex. Yes. With Halloween coming up, what is your go-to Halloween movie? Go-to Halloween movie. Um, only because I've grown to love it in recent years. Uh, the Mike Doherty one. Trick-or-treat? Yes, trick-or-treat. Uh, oh. I, I didn't follow up. Well, I don't know if I'll be able to this year, but a couple of years ago, I told myself that I'm going to watch it on Halloween as a tradition every year. And, uh, I just came to love it. I just thought it was sort of the new modern Halloween classic. Like, took the Halloween, you know, it takes place around Halloween, but took it and then gave us like four or five different stories. This is all Cloud Atlas connected to almost. But, but give, gives you different stories and different people to follow and like, just, it's a really cool idea. I loved it a lot. And now it's my go-to Halloween movie. Yeah, I'm a big cool. fan of Trick or Treat as well. That's a, yeah. that's a fun one. I don't know who to ask specifically. Maybe you, Aaron? Yeah, go for it. But um, since we'll get into discussion later about Tom Hanks' characters, which Tom Hanks movie is your favorite movie? Or which performance of his disregarding Cloud Atlas? Disregarding Cloud Atlas, my favorite, my t- favorite Tom Hanks movie. Um, <clears throat> what would be my favorite Tom Hanks movie? Let's see. No, is the question favorite Tom Hanks movie or favorite Tom Hanks performance? performance yeah. Um, Bernard and Hooch. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if, if, the, if those... 
answers cross over then. Sure. Why, why was I just thinking about Turner and Hooch? Who di- someone directed Turner and Hooch, I think. That oh, it was the guy that it was. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about it. Uh, you know, Bond movie. That's why I thought of it. Um, Roger Spottiswood. Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah, that's yeah. He so. directed Turner and Hooch. Um, let's see. Let's see. Well, it's not Larry Crown because that's at the bottom of the list. I mean, you got any angry emails about that one? I didn't get angry emails about Thomas Crown uh, about Larry Crown because no, Thomas Crown, Thomas Crown, <laughs> the Larry Crown affair. Yeah. Um. God, what's my favorite Tom Hanks? I mean, Woody's a great character, right? I mean, I can just go with Woody. Like, I love Woody. Like, yeah. I don't think you can really go wrong with that. Yeah. First one that came to mind was Safe Choice. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, which which film is that? Uh, which one was Woody? Uh, he's, he was in uh, Saving Private Ryan. Oh. <laughs> remember, remember when Vin Diesel was like, Woody, what do I do now? And he, and he was like, just I was just trying there. to think of a, a movie where Tom Hanks was named Woody, but I... He's throwing you for a loop here. Road Tradition, I think his name was also... His name was like Michael Woody Sullivan. I think that's... Cause he, oh. was, he, he drove around. You're lucky. And, You're lucky I'm not young. I'd smack <laughs> you right now. Smack you. <laughs> a little joke. Yeah. Um, I also really like that thing you do, but not because of Tom Hanks necessarily. But I just really like. It. I just like shouting out what that thing you do, and Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. Um, <laughs> so, okay, Adam. Yes, sir. What is another pair of pairing of directors you'd like to see to make a movie together? Oh wow, that's a great question. Um, this is a, this is certainly a you know, fascinating pairing that we've got right here. I'm trying to I'm trying to think about. What I'd like to see. I'll give you the obvious answer right now. It's Michael Bay and Terrence Malick. I think those two <laughs> clearly make a... clearly. That's like clearly, I mean, on my list. <laughs> there's not really much of a question on that front. Okay, you know, to I think a, a teaming that would make a really interesting movie is if you took the Coen Brothers and you put them out there with Paul Thomas Anderson. All right. I think I think you get some really. I think it, on one level, the story, whatever story they chose, would be really grounded in. You know, just it would be a really solid story, and it would be you know very tight from a narrative perspective because of the Coens. But then Anderson would sort of bring this sort of far out, you know, left field perspective. That I think would be really interesting. So I'd go with the two of them. I like that answer. Um, okay, I'll throw a question out there to Alex. Mm-hmm. So for this film, I, ironically enough, my question relates to the, the director pairing. Uh, when you found out that Cloud Atlas was going to be directed by uh, Wachowski Starship and uh, Tom Teichfer, uh, which one surprised you the most? Was there a particular you know, one of those that you felt you wouldn't have expected to be directing a film like this? <laughs> yeah, Tom Tom Teichfer. Um, <laughs> but he, because I, I didn't, I mean, having watched the Wachowskis in their career for so long, I expected just them to do it, just them right. to take on the whole project. But then when I heard he was involved, it was like, very confusing because I thought I, I admire him. Perfume uh, is one of my favorite films of all time. Oh yeah, he did an amazing job with it, and uh, so I have respect for him. But I just thought, where is he going to fit into this? How is he going to work? What yeah. is he going to do? Um, and, and I mean, obviously, we get into it later in his segments that I think he did an amazing job. But um, he, it's just like it, it just it didn't. It seemed like odd to me that they would choose him out of the wealth of directors available, so to say. But yeah. they obviously have a friendship with him that they've built up and that they trust him as well. And I don't know, he was, he was the one to me that seemed to stand out, but I almost to the point of I wasn't sure how he would fit in. 
And then I think he does fit in well, but we'll get into more of that later. So you could ask one to Abe. Out of all the films you've seen and the films you love, what is the coolest or most visually exciting futuristic sequence that you can Ooh, name? So what, like Future World? That's a yeah. good question. That takes me, that makes my brain tick. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> Trying to yeah, think, I'm trying to think of the happy ones. Like we got all these dystopian. Well, yeah, no, and I'm also thinking of, like these like really cool futures too. And because yeah, because I'm I'm thinking of all these yeah very sad dark gray futures like Minority Report and Rain or uh, uh, Blade Runner and well, stuff. To be so. fair, I mean Minority Report. It seems like if you're not living in DC, you're probably fine. Like everyone else, <laughs> DC seems to be like it's a hot. Yeah, DC is like the the biggest crime bed apparently. It's like a hot bed for murder. DC, but... It's true. I mean, Salt, you know, Salt Lake City's probably good. Yeah, Salt Lake City. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's probably sweet. still beautiful. It's still snowy. Like, guys, yeah. guys, we have hover cars now? I mean, we thought Mormons were great, but hover cars? Like... Hover cars and Mormons? <laughs> they get around more efficiently. Yeah. That's a good question. I, I, I don't know off the top of my head. About what comes to mind? What's the first one that comes to mind? Minority Report. <laughs> but I could throw one out there, too. I mean, I'd love to. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to hear everyone's feedback, yeah. Blade Runner all the way. Absolutely, yeah. But that's, I mean, that that's is just one too. the single most impressive production design I've ever seen in a movie. And, I mean, that it's 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 fantastic. I'm a Fifth Element future. Like, that seems like, it seems like everybody's doing all right there. Like, he's... <laughs> well, I mean, I think the everyone question does was, it, was, it, was it, where do you want to go? It was more like, you know, what was the most What's impressive? The... Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to go to Blade Runner LA, <laughs> but I think it's awesome. <laughs> Again, I mean, that like has like noiritis or something going on there. Like, I bet you go to, you know, you go to San Diego in the Blade Runner universe. It's like, oh, this is pretty cool, actually. It's, it's way less smoggy. <laughs> Why is it the ocean? Hey, better Tom Hanks transformation. Cloud Atlas or Polar Express? Oh, yeah, Cloud Atlas, because Tom Hanks wasn't creeping me out and Cloud Atlas, like it was in Polar Express. How did he creep you out? He's CG. Polar Express He's, is a great movie. I, I'm happy that you like that movie. I know a lot of people that like Polar Express. I'm not a not a Polar Express fan. Really? It's got the creepy eyes going on there, and it bugged me. You know what? It's totally. I mean, yeah, I understand what you're getting at as far as that goes. I just I I look past the eyes. Okay, yeah. I look into the soul. <laughs> I look into the neo soul, and what I saw was not something that I wanted to see again. I don't. Tom Hanks pouring hot co- or hot chocolate upside down. Well, here, here's on. a question, Adam. Adam doing did, did, did you read? Did you read? Were you familiar with the Polar Express story before seeing that movie? I was not. No. Oh, okay. So I, I wasn't either. So I don't. I don't know. I got in that movie. I was like, oh, okay. There's, there's trains and stuff, and they're flying all over the place. I, I, I mean, okay. it's the point where I watch it every That's year. That's not in the story. <laughs> Tom, Tom Hanks is everywhere. He's fine. I mean, he's. It's not like he's doing bad job, and it. it's just like this looks weird. Huh? <laughs> Robert, I'm just I'm just saying Robert Zemeckis' work to make Denzel Washington look lifelike in flight looks way better than Polar Express. Does. I think true. he's finally, is, yeah I, I will agree with he's that. finally got to a point where I think he has the motion capture under control. Like have you did you yeah, see like much. John Goodman's hair looks so realistic in that? There's, movie. A, there's a couple bits from the trailer yeah. where it looks a little bit you know a little phony, but for the most part they do all right. Yeah, like, that is amazing motion capture. Yeah, Denzel's playing him and Don Cheadle in that movie. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> All right, I think, I think we've sufficiently asked everybody how many questions we needed to ask, and that's how we get to know everybody. So uh, before we go on, though, I, I would like to say my brain officially did click on and switched over to drive, and I am ashamed about the Woody gap. 
<laughs> it took me a while. I was like, what is, who is Woody? And I was like, oh, crap. I, was, I wasn't even sure if you were kidding, but now, okay. And the Lord, and the Lord, and the Lord repented that he ever made man. Well, you, you always got a friend in me, Adam, so let's move on. Yeah, let's get to, uh, let's get to out now, quickies. TM. Yeah. This is, uh, we talk about, we bring up just some movie that we might have also seen, because there's a lot of movies that come out, and we don't review all of them, so I'm just gonna, to start off, I saw Chasing Mavericks this week. I, I was one of the three people that saw Chasing Mavericks this week, and, um, it's not good. Um, <laughs> it, oh. uh, there's, so there's some, there, the surfing photography is quite good in that movie, I'll give it that. And, like, if there was an IMAX surfing documentary, like a true IMAX, a true, true IMAX surfing documentary, I'd be down to watch that, but Chasing Mavericks, sure. true, true, but uh, Chasing Mavericks is not, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not good. All right, that's that's my out now, Quickie. Abe, did you see anything this week? No, but I'm catching up on Parson Recreation. All right, I like. We're gonna have to change this out now, Quickies and TV that Abe watched this week. Okay, Adam, I didn't get to the movies this week, uh, but. I have started uh, Homeland, so that's pretty oh, exciting. Right. Oh, excellent! Is it as good as everyone says? You know what? I mean, I'm only like a couple episodes in, so I, I can't speak for that. I'm enjoying it so far, though, and I'm excited to see where it's going to go. It, yeah, it's quite good. I was really happy to watch that first season. And be like, wow! In a world where Breaking Bad and Mad Men exist, there's still room for other great drama. <laughs> oh my gosh! Alex, did you see any other movies this week? Yes, I did. Um, I don't know how much I'm allowed to really talk about it, but I saw Life of Pi. Oh. Cool. Uh, and I loved it. Um, I mean, I was expecting to love it because I had read the book earlier this year and, you know, knew exactly what was going to happen, but, uh, it was still just a visually incredible experience. I called it in the tweet I wrote after, I called it a 3D masterpiece in the, in the way that, uh, Hugo and Avatar are 3D oh, masterpieces. Wow. You used buzzwords that I like. That's good to hear. I was, Really yeah. intrigued by it. Yeah. I'm actually glad to hear that you read the book and also saw it and then in, enjoyed it still. So. Yeah, it's very much, um, oh, this is going to be a terrible reference to make, but it's very much like the Hunger Games and then it's very accurate to the book, but still cinematic in its own way. And, uh, he does cut out a couple pieces. Like there's, I mean, I don't know if you guys have read the book, but there's a couple moments where I was watching it being like, oh, when is this going to happen? And it doesn't. But at the same time, it's such a minor piece that there's enough other things happening that it's just, it's like, okay, whatever, here's the real story, here's the person you're following, and, you, you know, you go on, on his journey, and it's just a beautiful experience, so to say. Cool. That comes out around Thanksgiving, I believe, right? So Yeah, that's why I'm really talking about it. But it, <laughs> it, it, it like, premiered at the New York Film Fest, and it's shown a couple places already. Okay, so, that's out now, quickies. TM. TM. All right, so, moving on. Um, once again, our newest segment, Did I Cross Alex Cross? And this week's answer, no, I did not out cross Alex Cross as of yet. But there's a new spinoff segment to Did I Cross Alex Cross. It's called Did Alex Cross Alex Cross, which is, of course, specially designed for Alex Billington. Alex, did you cross Alex Cross? Uh, no, thankfully not yet. Okay. <laughs> that concludes yeah. the segment, Did Alex Cross Alex Cross? Okay, so, moving on. I spent five seconds on that joke. Um, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Golf clap. Yeah. Movie trailer talk. We're going to talk about some of the latest movie trailers that have just been released, and we got two. The first one up, Iron Man 3, little known movie, I think, coming out next year, starring Robert Downey Jr. and a gaggle of people. <laughs> Gwyneth Paltrow, Don Cheadle, Guy Pierce, Ben Kingsley. Uh, this is, of course, the third in the Iron Man series. It's now directed and co-written by Shane Black of 
of awesomeness fame of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang Babe and <laughs> Lethal Weapon and a lot of really fun action movies from the 80s, 90s. Um, let's see, this trailer sets up the next stage for Marvel and, you know, Tony's... Looks like there's some trouble coming, so whatever. Uh, Adam, what did you think of this trailer? I think it looks fantastic. I mean, I I really liked Iron Man. I was not a huge fan of Iron Man 2. Um, and I was disappointed that John Favreau wasn't going to be involved with Iron Man 3. But I think what's awesome about this trailer is that they're really tapping into the inherent problem of being a superhero in the public eye. If everybody knows who you are, that conceivably somebody could come along and just bomb the crap out of your, your super unsecret hideaway. And I just thought that was fantastic. I mean, the idea of, you know, I mean, they, they talked before about how he was going to have to kind of start from scratch and have to rebuild the suit and do all that stuff. And I was kind of worried that that would mean, oh, you know, Iron Man's going to be stuck out in the desert for the entire movie you know, or something where he's isolated from the rest of, you know, his, of his, um, of the Marvel world. And I'm excited to see that's probably not going to be the case. And it just, it looks, the action looks great. The, the, the character dilemmas are fantastic. It's, you know, we're going to see more Gwyneth Paltrow, and I really like her as Pepper Potts. So, I mean, I, I'm pumped. I think this looks great. Alex? Yes, everything he said. Um, right, right down to, I didn't like Iron Man too much either, and not that I was concerned about where Iron Man 3 was going to go, but just, it's like at this point after Avengers, it's like, where are they going to go? What are they going to do to keep Tony Stark and Iron Man fresh and exciting again? And, um, I love that they brought in Shane Black. I think he, like, he, what, I mean, someone made a point when I was commenting on the trailer about how good it is. They're like, oh yeah, but the Iron Man 2 trailer looked really good too. <laughs> and, uh, and so it's, they're, you know, they're trying to say, well, maybe the trailer's just cut really well. But at the same time, I think he, you can sort of see the elements that he's bringing in. You can see, like you said, that he's addressing these ideas that are sort of the, not, not only the logical progression, but also just sort of deeper ideas in regards to Tony Stark and superheroes and what happens and where he's going to go. And, uh, Mandarin looks awesome. I don't mind his voice, honestly. I like it. I think it's different and weird and almost off-putting, which is why I like it. And, uh, yeah, I think it was a badass trailer. I think they did a really, really, really good job setting it up. Except for the very odd piece at the end where it just like, fades to him just sitting in the snow again and you're just like what's what's going on here <laughs> see i dug that ironically i dug that <laughs> really yeah <laughs> what it, it, it someone else i was arguing with about it said that he, he's like i would have preferred that if it does that and then it ends with like a bang like something grabs him or something and then you mm-hmm. you know you get that last moment of energy but it's just sort of like shows him there and it's just it's what, what's well, it says liam, ne- it says liam neeson moment like, i'm not gonna give up I feel like I feel like the logic was that Iron Man two trailer ended with War Machine and Iron Man like just 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 knocking down fools and that's like the big bang. End. So it's like, well, how, I mean, it comes down to I guess maybe separating it from Iron Man two, which just in terms of tone overall, and I think that's kind of to me that seemed like the the logic they were going with. I I, uh, I like the trailer quite a bit. I was all into it. I was I got to see some of the footage of Comic Con already with the mansion blowing up and stuff, but this trailer, like, really set the tone for what the movie, or what, what I, what the movie could be like, where it's, you know, it is, it's not just, it, it, it is again like Tony has to once again build himself something new to overcome a triumph, but like, yeah. it, it could still be more, it can dig deeper, as you guys were saying, with, you know, what it is to be a superhero that, you know, everyone knows. It's, 
it's interesting, and I'm looking, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And you know, I it all it's always nice to see new shades of the suit. So we got Iron Patriot suit. We got the the new his new yeah. gold color going on. It's a lot of things, a lot of things to take in there. I, <laughs> Yeah. I always like the Marvel trailers. They pack in so much in terms of like things to tease you with, so you like analyze the trailer for months before the next one comes out. They're they're really good, and that's the thing. Like, if if not to get into this because this could be a whole episode, but the whole DC versus Marvel in terms of cinematic universes, like I I still will say Marvel's above for these kind of reasons. For the reasons that they can cut an awesome trailer, and that we at this moment feel confident about the movie. They tease things. They make everyone excited for it. I think everyone was saying, like, this is one of, one of the most viewed trailers on YouTube. It's just, like, they, they do everything right building up the hype for their movies. Well, the thing is that you get the sense with, with Marvel, there's somebody at the driver's seat. There's somebody, you know, yeah. in the in the war room planning things out, whereas with DC, it's just kind of pell-mell, you know, just kind of going along. Whereas yeah. with Marvel, when they had, I mean, I don't know how much they planned it out at that point, but at the end of Iron Man, with the little Nick Fury, you know, post-credit sequence, I mean... That was one of the most brilliant things they've ever done, because yeah. it set up this entire universe. You know, everything's interconnected. It's not just you know, oh, let's write it as we go. It's like no, we're, we have a plan, and you know, we're going to carry it out. Adam, everything is connected. <laughs> Every, but it, but is everything illuminated? Yeah. <laughs> everything illuminated. I don't so, know, but uh, Elijah, I mean Abe, uh, what's what yeah, the Elijah? <laughs> Are we just going biblical names? <laughs> Everything is illuminated. Uh, go on. What do you think of the trailer? Uh, yeah, the trailer is actually pretty cool. It looks it looks uh, increasingly dramatic and serious, and if it keeps that way, that's that's a good thing, I think. Um, there's actually one part in the trailer, I think, uh, where his house is being blown up to bits. There's this really odd thing in the background, and I had to actually watch it twice just to see what it was. It's a it's a giant doll or stuffed animal that I'm sure he's giving Pepper. But if you look at it at first glance, it looks like some rabbit with breasts. Abe, I'm has, sure. Abe, you have watched this trailer. All right, I gotta, yeah. I gotta, I gotta watch this again now to find this. <laughs> find the breast rabbit somewhere. Melancholia is. You can see it. I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it looks pretty serious. It looks pretty good. Um, but I hope that it's not uh, uh, like a downer, like number two. In downer terms of man, this movie is not very good at all. See, I. Because <laughs> I, I don't hate to. Like, I, I get that it's like the weakest of the Marvel chain in terms of, like, these Marvel Cinematic movies that led up to the Avengers. But as if, when I watch it, I kind of view it as a screwball comedy. And I, I enjoy it. it has, <laughs> I, I don't hate to either. It it's has just an amazing a lot cast. Less like, every time I watch the movie, like, everyone just signed off for this movie. And that's what Iron Man 3 seems like, so I hope it doesn't fall victim to the same problem. But Or, like, I guess everybody is just too awesome for the same movie. Like, but Well, I like the serious tone in one. Um, that seemed really out there. It seemed, yeah, it seemed more goofy, I guess. And so I wasn't, it wasn't that I, I wasn't following it, it's just more of, man, this is a really weird direction. And I've heard that the studios and John Favreau had some discussion about where they wanted the film to go, so uh, I, I can understand that. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it helps that, yeah, like, 2 was coming at a time when, like, they had to get all that Avengers stuff planned out. 3, now they're starting, they're, like, basically, they're restarting, they're starting the next chapter in the whole Marvel Cinematic, the Phase 2, or whatever. I've heard, too, that once, since the acquisition of Marvel by Disney, that one of their caveats was that his alcoholism uh, vanish in this movie. So I'm, I'll be curious to see if that's actually the case. Um, that's, because I thought that, 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 well, that the, the whole flawed hero thing is one of the, the coolest aspects of the Tony Stark character, so I hope not. That's been, that's been, I was actually asked at a Comic-Con regarding if the demon in a bottle storyline is ever going to come up in Downey Jr. He, he, you know, he basically said no, and to me that makes sense just because it's, you know, 
Disney owns Iron Man at this point, so they're like, we're not gonna, you know, have our most popular character that makes us tons of money be, you know, knocking back the booze in our movies. It's not gonna affect their money, though. I mean, their revenue's not gonna get affected one way or the other, I don't think. I, I wouldn't think so either, but I still think it's an image thing that Disney doesn't exactly want to, like... Well, I mean, to be fair, donut sales did go through the roof after part two. And shawarma sales went through the roof after <laughs> Arthur Adventures. That, that is actually the case, yeah. You know, Jack Daniel, let's do some product placement, let's go. <laughs> Alright. Okay, so let's let's move on to our Iron Man three comes out May third, two thousand thirteen, kicking off the summer season. And let, well when does when does Fast Six come out? Oh I think that's Memorial Day that year actually, right? So <laughs> I don't know, the Fast and Furious movies tend to like want to try try to one up everybody by going like coming out in April, but I think this next one comes out in Memorial Day, so Abe, I'm telling you right now, Fast Six is gonna be amazing. I'm just saying it. You doubted me when I said Fast Five was going to be amazing. And, and that actually turned out to be a pretty good movie. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. So. Okay. So our next trailer we're talking about, we have The Evil Dead. And this is, of course, a remake of The Evil Dead, the ultimate experience in grueling horror. Um, first directed by Sam Raimi, starring Bruce Campbell. And now this new version comes along um, with approval by Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell as they are both producers and are, you know, high, they, they're very involved in the production of this movie, it seems. And this version is directed by Fede Alvarez. Is that correct? Yeah, that's it. That sounds, sounds about right. Anyway, this trailer, which is only a Red Band trailer, is completely gory, crazy gory, true to Evil Dead form, but certainly... Upping the ante in terms of, hey, we're in 2012 now. We can, we have a bit more budget to work with and some technology to make it look just all kinds of sick. I have a huge Evil Dead fan. I love this trailer. But Alex, what did you think of the Evil Dead? Um, I don't know. I'm I'm mixed on it because I'm a huge Raimi lover and of the Evil Dead movies, and I'm I'm bigger Army Army of Darkness fan. But it, it's like. I'm, you know, it's the whole, I was worried that this was going to look like complete crap. And then you watch it and you're like, you know, this is, this doesn't look too bad. But at the same time, it looks, this is what I hate about modern horror remakes is they all look the same. They're all the same, like, yeah. young kids who all look pretty and then they come and then the gore looks the same and the, the darkness looks the same. It's like, I don't know, I was hoping that they would do something completely new and different and unique like Raimi did when he first made the evil dead and yet it's just another more gore more of this you know i don't know it's just it, it it it's it seems like it has the elements to be pretty good but it also just seems like another modern horror remake to me i don't know it totally gave me vibes of uh cabin in the woods but yeah. um i haven't seen the original evil dead and so I don't really know what to compare it to. Um, but, I mean, in terms of the gore stuff, at least it doesn't look cheesy gore, like like what we talked about last week was Texas Chainsaw 3D. Uh, well, it looks really stupid. And um, this one, it actually looks as though, you know, the, the makeup effects and what they're doing with it makes sense. And it's uh, it, it can be, it's not actually too, too bad. I, I watched the Red Band, so not too, too gory in terms of cringe effects. Yeah, the craziest one I think was that girl like cutting her tongue. tongue but, thing. Yeah. 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 But even that, I mean that that actually looked pretty cool. I Yeah, it didn't look bad. It was just I wanted to see more of the like she was grabbing the saw to cut off her arm and like that yeah. kind of stuff. I mean yeah. they, I mean it's just a teaser trailer. It can't be can't be giving away the whole the whole kit caboodle here. <laughs> but right. they they showed the tongue part, they showed some good parts. They have to show what yeah. 
I would have. I, I just said kitten caboodle. Who, who says that? But um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> no, no one says that. The whole kitten caboodle. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I'm gonna bring back Cabin in the Woods. You know, the movie that ruined horror movies to come. Um, I, yeah, I, I, you certainly. I mean, Abe, you haven't seen Evil Dead, but I mean, Cabin in the Woods heavily owes a lot to to Evil Dead to be. Yeah, lot, yeah, I would, I would imagine. But uh, yeah, Cabin in the Woods. In a, in a in a post cabin in the woods world, certainly it comes to mind, especially when you're dealing with another movie that involves a cabin in the woods. But, oh my uh, gosh! But I I I, did, I don't know why I, re- I responded so well to it, but maybe it's just because I because I know that it already has the blessing of Raimi and Campbell, and it's because like there's all those platinum dooms horror remakes, right? Like the Texas Chainsaw ones yeah. and the Amityville, and what's the other one? Uh, the, the Friday the Thirteenth, which I hated. Same with Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, and I don't know those. See, those to me all like look the same. And I guess it was, I was just I was like surprised that this one didn't like have, I don't know, the same kind of glossiness that that one. Even glossy, like I mean, those ones feel very glossy to me. Evil. This one, it just felt dirty. It felt like a dirty movie. Hmm. I, I don't know. I just responded the right way to it, where I was like, I'm on board. I'm looking forward to seeing more, as opposed to kind of dreading the idea of a remake of what is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. It's one of my favorite trilogies, the, the Evil Dead trilogy in general. Let's say, which one do you like more? Do you like... I'm an Evil Dead 2 fan. I like my co- yeah. I like my slapstick comedy. That said, <laughs> I still think Evil Dead's very... It can, when I'm right, when I'm watching it in the right atmosphere, like, if, I can I can respond to that movie well enough where I'm, like, into the, the horror aspect of it and not just the, the campiness of it. Well, that's what I'm wondering about this, is how much, if at all, are they going to go into the campy territory? Or is it just going to be pure horror and that's it? I mean, Evil Dead is known for its tree rape scene, and this one, you know, you get into that territory, and (laughs) I feel like the humor is not going to be as... Be as high as but that. Like that is campy, though. I mean, who the hell... It's campy in that first one. This one, I mean, (laughs) it could just seem crazy. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, well... Yeah, the tone is certainly something I'm curious about, but I, I feel like it's off to a, a good start in terms of me being curious about seeing the movie as opposed to dreading the That's idea of it. True. So yeah, uh, Evil Dead comes out next year, April 12th, 2013, which is very similar to the Cabin in the Woods release date, just saying. Um, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, moving on. Let's, uh, yeah, that takes us to the end of Trailer Talk. We're going to finally get to our review for Cloud Atlas. That's it. The music from my dream. There are whole movements I wrote imagining us meeting again and again in different lives, in different ages. I can't explain it, but I knew when I opened that door... A powerful deja vu ran through my bones. I heard it in a dream. I was in a nightmarish cafe. And the waitresses, they all had the same face. No reason to hide. I know you are Sonry 451. Yesterday, my life was headed in one direction. Today, it is headed in another. You ever think the universe is against you? Fear. Belief, love, phenomena that determine the course of our lives. These forces begin long before we are born and continue after we perish. All right, 
so that should have been some of the trailer for Cloud Atlas, and bear with me as I try to describe this movie as I tend to do. Um, this is an ambitious new movie from directors Lana and Andy Wachowski and Tom Tickver that focuses on six different stories taking place in six different times. One is set during the 1850s, one during the 1930s, one during the 1970s, one during present day, one during in a futuristic neo-soul setting, and one in a very distant future in Hawaii, I believe. And um, it stars an assortment of different people, including Tom Hanks, Halle Berry, Hugh Grant, Susan Sarandon, Hugo Weaving, uh, Jim Sturgis, Ben Winshaw, and they all play multiple roles within all of these different storylines, and... The film focuses on a number of different themes with a uniting thing that everything is connected, as says in the tagline. And that's about as best I can do in a short summary of the movie. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say right now, I'm, I'm not, we, we generally try not to spoil things in this, in the, in these reviews, but, um, I, depending on how far we go, I wouldn't be surprised if we do just do a says. So I guess. If Please anyone, be forewarned. Yeah, yeah, just be forewarned that there could be spoilers in the in this particular review of the of the of the film. We'll, so you know, we'll, we'll try to be good. We'll try. To yeah. Be good. So you know, if you're if you're really concerned of seeing Cloud Atlas and you're an Audi, you know, hold off until you see the movie. Come back. I guess. <laughs> see, I used Audi. See, I used our term now, Abe. So. Yeah. TM. So all right. With all with all of that said, I'm gonna start with Alex. Alex, what did you think of Cloud Atlas? I am, I'm infamously or maybe famously known for saying it's a massive cinematic accomplishment, as has been quoted in many TV spots. Um, and, and to preface that, uh, I was not involved in any of that. I did not choose quotes or anything. I wrote my review at Toronto after I saw it at the premiere, just out of my heart saying what I felt immediately. And, uh, so anyway, to get back on topic, uh, I do think it's a massive cinematic accomplishment. I called it a cinematic revelation. But basically, what I and I saw it again last night to confirm my thoughts and feelings. But uh, I really love this movie. I love what they set out to do, and I love that they accomplished what they set out to do, which was to take these six storylines um, that came from David Mitchell's novel to um, interweave everything and have everything flow together and not be linear yet still connect and um, and just sort of tell this sort of bigger story about. Uh, our lives and, you know, what happens when we die, what, or not necessarily the answer to that, but just sort of those ideas, the soul, um, the sort of, you know, the, the quintessential line from the trailer of like fear, belief, love phenomena that determine the course of our lives, like those sort of things. I love that it gets into that, into, I love that it gets into those ideas in ways that we've never really seen before and that they were able to pull off this kind of, uh, just sort of big, bold, ambitious, filmmaking i don't know just massive movie and uh and i know i can argue with you guys endlessly about different points and i'm sure we'll get into them but um i'm here to defend it (laughs) (laughs) this movie is amazing and and here's why and just you know i I can talk about it further so that's what i'll say at the start adam g what did you think of the movie uh this is one of my favorite films of 2012 I mean, it might just be one of the best ones of 2012, too. I'm going to wait and see what my top ten list is going to look like once we get a little further into the schedule. But this is one of my favorites. Uh, I think, again, it's one of those movies that I've been looking forward to for, you know, a year or two, having you know, TV tabs on it. And like Alex was saying earlier, just the idea that they were going to work together with, uh, the, the Wachowskis were going to work with Tom 
uh, Tom Tickver was really surprising and really interesting. And and what's really great too about the fact that they're using all these different stories, you know, it's not like you have this big aha moment, a la Crash or something, where oh everything's connected in this really stupid way. I mean, things are connected very, very slightly. There's little shades here and there. If you're not paying attention, you're not going to notice it. And I really like that. I, one thing I really thought was interesting was, you know, from all the trailers and whatnot, whether it's, you know, the extended mega trailer or the, the little one, you get this sense that it's going to be, you're going to have this, uh, this the Tom Hanks, Halle Berry segment was going to go back to, like, the caveman, you know, caveman time, like Bronze Age or whatever. Not Bronze Age, probably more like Stone Age. But then, you know, the second time you get to that sequence, all of a sudden, this awesome hover boat pulls up and your total expectation, at least mine was, is blown. And you think, oh my gosh, we're in the far future. Oh, you're doing it already. And that was really exciting to see. Um, I think the performances are good. I think it's very clearly a, a um, I hesitate to use this term, but a Hollywood film. You know, because the Wachowskis don't really know how to do anything other than you know, ground everything in this very strong three-act structure. But the way that they do it is fascinating, just because you've got all these different characters, and they're moving back and forth and in a very in a very uh, organic way. And uh, I, I just, I, I haven't read the book, but from what I know of the book, I'm astounded that they were able to take that material and turn it into something that really holds together as a cohesive piece. So I'm a big fan of this movie. Okay, Abe? Uh, the film is incredibly ambitious, and I, I think that it's a, it's a good film. I don't know if it's a great film. I, I remember just thinking to myself that I wasn't completely super blown out of the water by it, although I did enjoy it. And I think it's one of those films, I was thinking about it on the way home, and I was thinking about it at night, and I was thinking about it this morning, so it's definitely one of those films that stays. Um, but certainly it's one of those things where I think you would have to view it twice to get a fuller grasp of all the meanings and all the characters and everything like that. Um, I think that its sa- soundtrack is fantastic. I was listening to the Cloud Atlas piano uh, play while I was walking home, and it's just uh, pretty mesmerizing. So on the whole, it's it's not uh, it's not like crazy good in my mind, but it's it's pretty good. All right, and um, I. I, I really enjoyed this movie as well. I um, it, it's certain, yeah, ambitious, ambitious is the word to say the least about the film. But um, I've seen it, I've seen it twice now, and the second time, I think helped me me kind of looking past what I consider to be kind of issues I have with the movie in terms of the the overall the look of some of it. You have some care, like it. I think the production values in this movie are pretty fantastic, but there are some awkward things going on with with like how the makeup's handled that it just it just made me kind of stop and be like wait a minute but looking past that i was just really into the the story structure and that's what i think is the most impressive aspect about a film like this i think a movie that has six different storylines and six different times that's utilizing all these different elements i think it could easily have been a huge mess and it's not and that's what i admire most about the film it it works out really well. It's very smooth to watch. I wouldn't necessarily say the pacing is like lightning quick, but it's, I never find the film boring. I, I'm always into what's going on and I'm always clear on what I'm watching at the time. Like the, the way it flows is very effective to me. And I really admire that about the movie as well as just the movie in general, in terms of it being a 
high budget independent film essentially like it the way the, the way that they're able to kind of the way the, the fact that this movie exists is one of those things that impresses me <laughs> like it yes definitely it, yeah. it it has like just so much going on in it and it has like people like Tom Hanks and Halle Berry but it also has smaller stars as well and I just I I was a big fan of how it all came together in such a interesting and generally really good way I I think this the the uh, score is really good as well. I think the performances, especially with respect to like the, the, the leads that are the leads of their respective stories, I think come off the best. I think some stories play much better than others. I do have yeah. submissions of some of the stories which we'll probably get into, but um, overall, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie quite a bit. And I, I, I'm still thinking about it, which makes me look forward to considering what I'm going to think of it at the end of the year when it comes time to tally what movies I've seen and which movies still register with me. Exactly. I do want to echo your sentiments about the, because uh, I remember when we first reviewed the trailer, I thought, man, this looks like a complete mess. And I do want to say that it is not a mess, um, and I was really happy about that. And to your point about the editing, it 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 does flow pretty well. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't, I don't, I don't know if I was ever bored with it, and so that two hours and forty odd minutes actually went by pretty quickly. Um, so that's something that is a win for the movie. Cool. Yes. No, I, I also wanted to mention, uh, Aaron, you were talking about the independent nature of it. Upon repeat viewings, one thing I noticed is that um, I, I sort of picked up on how how limited they were, but not in a negative way. For example, you can tell that they're, for the most part, most of the sequences are either shot in a studio, which was, I think they worked out of Germany, or... Uh, to some sort of small set piece. Like the future, um, Neo Soul sequence takes place really in like two places. One right. of them, or three places. You got Papa Song, you got, uh, sort of the escape sequence from window to window, and then you have the like chase sequence, which is probably just all blue screen at that point. Yeah. And then you have the final battle in that big room where they're trying to break in through the doors. And I'm like, these are just four big studio sound stages. And they never, there's not, like, you can feel the independent limit in that sense and that they didn't go to, you know, $250 million range in terms of building, you know, sets the size of a football field. But at the same time, what that that's why I think it is such an achievement is that they've been able to do that and yet make you still feel the story and sort of, as you guys said, not feel lost in the mess of six storylines and bringing it all together and sort of achieving the goal of, uh, telling these soul-connecting stories across the different timelines. Yeah, and the, the VFX in the Neo Soul sequence are really strong, too. I mean, you, you don't get that sense, like, you know, a Star Wars prequel type of deal where you've got a lot of blue screen and it feels really limited and artificial and it just, you know that you're watching something that's completely, you know, fabricated in a, in a computer somewhere. I mean, you really get, they're really, and the effects are really interactive. You know, it feels like it could be real. As opposed yeah. to just doesn't feel fake or plasticky or something like that. It's it's something I like about the the Wachowski Starship. That's what they they branded themselves now, correct? The <laughs> um, the I've always enjoyed their use of visual effects, and like even in like the Matrix Reloaded, which has the the scene of Neo in the burly brawl where it looks weird. I mean, it's yeah. They they have an interesting handle on on how they play with effects. I never. It's not that they feel real, but they never feel false. They feel like they fit the tone of the True. movie that they're they're working in. And Speed Racer, I think, is another highlight of this yeah, example. But yeah. uh, 
which I love. And um, actually, come to think of it, I think aside from maybe their production credit on Ninja Assassin, I think I've loved everything the Wachowskis have done. Yes. Um, <laughs> Matrix 3, I'll kind of put lower. But I mean, besides that, I've loved everything that the Wachowskis have done. And the, and I mean, I'm not going to short credit Tom Sigford here either. I think the direction of this movie is fantastic between all three of them. I, I just, the, the way they approach every segment, like they, what I liked about the Tom Tickford segments actually in particular is it feels very, very much like a, because those, those, like the, the seventies one is set in America, but it feels like it's handled from a person that's not an American director. Just the way you show violence in movies directed by someone that's not American and that, that for a movie that's not like a Hollywood movie, it feels very, I wouldn't say brutal, but it feels more grounded, I guess. Like it, it feels like the, it, the violence is, it's violent. It's R-rated because that's required of it, not because, hey, we need to go over the top with graphicness. Like, it is very matter-of-fact in how that sounds. Same, yeah. with, same with some of the Wachowski stuff, too. Like, there's some there's some brutal stuff in there, but again... It, but to be, to be honest, I don't really know... I mean, I, I was watching the credits to, to a point, but I, I don't know which segments were directed by which which people. The um, the first one is... And the last... Uh, sorry, first... first yeah, that's really helpful. The, the, the first... Yeah, I know. <laughs> the, the, the ship... 1800s one and the two future ones, Neo Soul and Hawaii, are the Wachowskis, and then the other three sort of uh, 90s uh, and then modern are Tickford. Nice. Okay. That, that's great too because I mean, you look at those those individual sequences and you really get the sense that even though there's three directors, there's one vision behind this movie. You don't get the sense like, right. okay, well now I don't know where I'm at. This is totally a different, you know, style. I mean, the styles are obviously the, the styles aren't different. It's not that. It's that it, the, I mean, look, in the 70s sequence, you've got like a little 70s crime drama. In the present day sequence, you've got great comedy. You know, in the future, if in the, the sci-fi se- sequences, you've got some great science fiction. So, I mean, they're tackling a lot of different genres, but you never get the sense that it's, you know, that you're, you know, having these jarring shifts in, in tone. Yeah. Okay. What was your, uh, what was your, one of your favorite I guess, pieces of this Cloud Atlas, like, what was your favorite time segment? Kind of goes back to the question you asked in the, the early parts. It's a good question. I can all start, I can start that one up. I, I really responded to the, uh, the Neo Soul stuff. I was really into that structure, and I think, um, what's her name? Duna Bai? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I really liked her performance, I think, the most out of all these performances, and I think there are a lot of good performances. Well, we can talk about that next, I guess, but the, um, I really liked her performance in this movie. I like, where her character ended up and how her, how she developed. I mean, you have, in a, in a movie that's, you know, you have six short films going on and you only have so much time to develop these characters. I, I was really impressed with what, how much I was able to respond to, um, what's her name? It's like, what is it? Um, uh, Sony so- uh, 451. Sony 451. Yeah. I was trying to think of the number. Um, and yeah, I really, en- I really enjoyed her segment a lot. I, I really also like the, the the final segment is what I, I'll say I wasn't, a, I wasn't a huge fan of the bookends of the movie. And, uh, get these old bones in here. But I, I, uh, <laughs> but the, the story itself involving Tom Hanks and Halle Berry and the futuristic Hawaii thing, I, I enjoyed that one as well. Yeah, I was going to say the two that I really loved were the Hawaii sequence, like you said, the, and, and I'll get back to that. But the other one I really admired and I didn't expect to like this was the um, the early 1900s uh, sort of uh, gay romance and yeah. and then uh, composer story. Because I thought there were so many layers to it between the gay romance and then between 
his relationship with the composer and then where they took that and his ending, unfortunately. I mean, I guess that's kind of a spoiler, but, the, you know, what he does and that sort of stuff. And just, it just was really beautifully made. And I'm a huge Ben Wishaw fan. As I mentioned earlier about Perfume, that's sort of where I first discovered him and yeah. was amazed by him. And seeing him, I mean, again, since you can tell this was a Tom Tickler segment, is he's obviously worked with him before and was able to shape him into someone that just really worked well. That Frobisher character just stands out to me in a big yeah. way. But I was going to say the reason why I love the Hawaii sequence is that, to me, that is the culmination of the six timelines of Tom Hanks' character finally getting to fall in love and be with the character that he wants to love, which is Halle Berry's character. Mm-hmm. And that you see throughout the five previous segments, except for maybe the very first one, that he's interacts with her, and then you get the in the middle you get the one where he meets her, and then he dies after he meets her. Another spoiler. But then. You know, it continues on to finally, he finally gets with her and finally makes the decisions. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's that whole idea of the, the love going across six generations to finally reach what he was truly hoping to happen. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, I, it's funny that I have a bunch of different favorites for different reasons. I think, uh, the, the most fun segment is the gaslighter deal of, of Timothy Cavendish. Yeah. There's a there's a there's a bit where they're in a car and something awesome happens. I don't want to spoil it, and it was one of those things where the, the music cue hit at just the right point. This <laughs> awesome, and in my my heart just kind of leaped. I was like, oh yes, way to go, you know, senior citizens. Uh, so that was awesome, <laughs> and, and kind of like like uh, Alex was saying, the the romance between Frobisher and Sixsmith is just really effective. Yeah. It's really moving, and you know that. The Ben Wishaw character is just really, really strong just to, just to see sort of his confusion about how he can relate to this world that he lives in that doesn't really have a place for him. That was really fascinating. Um, but if I had to pick one favorite se- uh, segment, it's probably the, the Neo Soul segment. I mean, it's just fascinating the way that that is constructed in the, you know, under the auspices of having it be an interview between you know, Sony and this um, archivist. I mean, that was fascinating, and just to see where it goes. And and another thing that's really great about the movie is, you know, for example, in the the far future segment, you know, Sony is revered as this god, and then you're having a chance to see that and how people perceive her in the future, versus you know, you're looking at this person right now. Her origin story. Sort of, exactly. It's this look at how a story can turn into something that's a lot bigger. To where it, all of a sudden, you know, she's been deified, and all you know this person or you know create, character actually is, as she's probably not technically a person. I'm not sure. Um, you can kind of see how how things get blown out of proportion and, and turn into something that they're not. I wanted yes. to see more. Maybe you guys can clarify more on this, but I wanted to understand more of how she became the deity. Like what. I didn't understand, and maybe maybe it's explained in the book, but I didn't understand how she went from being this fabricant who, at one point, she talks about how her memories are the same thing every day, and she's like, I don't have any more memories because the 24-hour cycle of Papa Song is the same thing, and then she goes from that to being this person that, in the future of Hawaii, is referenced as God. She's the replacement for it. I'm like, how did she, where, where did her ideas come from? 
how did she preach them to make a difference, and how did this make it change the world so much? For for what I can gather, I mean, because it's it's basically implied at that point where yeah. she, I mean, she went from being she went from being you know in the Papasans, and then she's like when Jim Sturgis takes her, when Asian Jim Sturgis takes her, she's you know <laughs> gathering all this knowledge that she's like I don't we don't exactly have like a, I guess a time for how long she was able to be. Out in the you know in the free world oh, right. before, before, but right. she, she's gathering all this information. You see her like flipping through all the different minority report screens, and then <laughs> and then and then she of course delivers her big message. Now we don't see all that message necessarily. We kind of see it, we see it in spurts of her talking to some, like recording yeah. a message, and then her last line or one of her last lines is like so someone heard it or whatever, like someone someone yeah, yeah. someone somewhere already yeah. has. And I guess from yeah. there we're just you know we just have to extrapolate that. Some not only has someone has, but either many people have, or someone's preaching what she's preaching, and you know, pay it forward and what have you, and suddenly, boom, bam, she's got every yeah. everybody. That's what I mean, it just seems like a big leap. Yeah, it's a it's a it's I a pretty think, uh, big leap, and even even then, I mean, getting to the uh, Hawaii segment, I mean, that's that takes place. We don't even know when. It's a very distant, think, a very know, distant future. It's if if there's been a nuclear holocaust or a nuclear war of some kind. I mean, I I, I took it from the perspective that, you know, okay, every day is the same for her because you know. Essentially, she's in the Matrix, you know? You know, right. she, every night she goes to sleep in this alcove, whatever. Who knows if maybe she's being plugged in to anything, whatever. So she finally gets out of this environment where everything's the same. She starts actually living her natural life. Now, from what I took it, these fabricants are human beings that are, they're like, essentially test two babies that are grown in a tank or whatever. Yeah. So she gets out of that, and then she goes off, has this great adventure, has this, this message or whatnot. And my thought was that, after this nuclear war, you know, the, the his history and the historical record was so fragmented that, you know, people found fragments or whatnot and then were willing to, and then obviously the legend just kind of grew and she became this deity. And obviously we know there's two parts to that future where there's sort of the, the cities where some of the, the rich folks still live and then there's these valleys and, and rural areas. But that was kind of how I took it. Was just that the fragmentation yeah. of the historical record turned into something she was. If you want to, if you want to think of it one way, I mean, you have her friend who was executed. Like she, she gained her independence by watching a fragment of some random TV movie. The Timothy, the, 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 the Timothy Cavendish story, and she yeah. she used that as a catalyst to to make her become independent. So you know, someone finds a, a speech about not have, wanting to have genetically engineered clones fed to themselves, and you know, you, you find that in the right setting, that could lead to some, yeah. hey, this person seems to know what they're talking about. <laughs> the way that I thought about it was, uh, yeah, she she's in her everyday job, and then she gets removed, and and then, uh, yeah, she has like a fifth element thing, where she learns about all these things, because the internet is so fast. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, hey, right, hey, right. Hey, everything is connected. Everything, yeah. <laughs> and then, but. you know, they, they go through the whole entire, uh, we've got to broadcast your message, because your message... Uh, you will become a martyr for this message. And through that, she was able to record, and then it just goes out. And I really found that the interrogation scene to be very profound, especially at the end, when, you know, he, he, the interrogator asks his final question, and her answer is, there's already someone that believes it. And I took that to be that the interrogator has now been yes. implanted with this idea of, look, I did this because someone somewhere at some time is going to fully understand that this isn't correct for us to be living this way and you will be the start of the revolution. So it's a, it's a pretty neat thing. I found that storyline to be pretty, pretty cool. 
Well, that's why I almost wanted to see like a whole movie on just that the progression yeah. from Somni to the Hawaii sequence because that's like it's fascinating to get into the idea of how almost religion is created in a sense and how yeah. they could go from that point to seeing how her message spreads and how it gets to because you because I love the dichotomy of of that sequence and then every sequence in the Hawaii sequence whenever it, like I said whenever they uh, are are trying to say a line that would be like oh god they just say oh Somni or something like that and it's like that's fascinating to see that they got to that point of her name being replaced for god and how 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 huge that is yeah. in terms of a progression of I don't know humanity in a way yeah, I guess it makes me wonder about how far distant into the future they are it's 106 so, yeah. winters later after the big winter. Actually, no, I think that makes... Okay. Just, now I'm trying to... I'm thinking about... You could also make a case, too. I mean, it's possible... Obviously, we know there are the two different segments of society in the, this far future. It's possible that maybe the richer portion sort of implanted that into the the uh, the rural areas just for, for methods of control and whatnot. So it's possible... That, that could have happened, too. Basically, they are incepted. Yeah. So that's what happened. <laughs> well, like, only it's a better movie. Yeah. Hey, One of the things I... Go, Alex. Sorry. Go ahead, Alex. Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, this is almost going to change topics, but um, I wanted to say that one of the things I noticed and that you guys were bringing up about the bookends, uh, and, and when I was watching it last night, I realized this, is that um, in every sequence and in every connection between the sequences, there is an establishment of how stories are told and carried over throughout generations. For example, in the first one, it's the book that Ewing writes and is read by Frobisher. Mm -hmm. Then um, uh, Louisa Ray reads, I think, uh, or no, she picks up the, the Cloud Atlas Sextet. And the letters. She reads the letters. And the letters. Right. 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 And, and then, and then um, you know, her story is turned into a book. And then uh, uh, Timothy Cavendish's story is turned into the movie in Neo Soul. And then at the very end, this is the bookend, is you see Tom Hanks as the old guy telling the story of his life, which is essentially the culmination of this generation of storytelling, mm -hmm. now telling the kids, telling you know, continuing that on. And it's like, it, it, to me, it showed the bigger idea of not only that there are the people who make a difference and who, who make changes and step out of line, but then how do those changes actually carry over and become something that actually influences generations, whether it may be 10 or hundreds of years down the line. And it obviously comes down to how we tell stories and how history is recorded throughout time and used to reference. And I just, I love seeing that, in the, especially upon repeat viewings of how those connections played out through that sort of bigger idea. It's fascinating. I, I, I think I, a lot I, of people could, could hate the, I know a lot of people probably don't like the, the bookends, but I mean, I'm a, obviously when, when the story kind of begins, it's, I could see how people could say they're a little bit hammy here and there as far as the, the book ends, but I think at the end of the day, the, the way the film actually ends, and a major spoiler, when they point up at the, at the stars and whatnot, I mean, that's, I think that's fascinating. It's, it's, it's almost the only way that story could really end as effectively, this is the future of humanity. This is the fruition of, like Alex was saying, everything that we've been, you know, watching over the past three hours, and I just, I think to take it all the way back to that nature of storytelling, it's it's just terrific. I mean, let me tell. You know, Grandpa's going to tell you a story. Yeah. Let me now. Yeah. I now I agree. I agree that with the 
the with the impact and the implication of what's going on at the end of the story. I, I really enjoy that fact. The the only thing about the bookends that threw me it's not the the beginning bookends fine. It's just a little like throws you off because Tom Hanks is in that accent. It's like wait, what's going on? But the, <laughs> it's more of you know old Tom Hanks and old Halle Berry and just their final lines to each other that kind of threw me. That's the that's the only issue I have. With the book. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really end. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't end on like a, on something super powerful. It's something. I guess it's something personal, and you can argue that that's kind of nice and how that plays out. But it's more like Holly Berry's like, "Let me get my old, these old bones." Let, let me warm up your old bones. Yeah, like it's, yeah. it, that that that's a little like okay. Oh, Holly. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I do I do like that impact. I, I, I want I want David to say what his favorite stories are. Let me just make a few things. Oh yes. That, oh oh. Let me, Sorry. Let, me, let me just make a few things that I wanted to say when you guys were talking. I Ben Winshaw is my other favorite performance in this movie. I think he's absolutely fantastic as Frobisher. Yes. I think he's really, really good. And I just after seeing it a second time, especially, it, it registered more with me just how how kind of intimate his performance is and how well he's playing it for a character that's you know not involved in something super high. Like it, it, you know, it's it's a it's this little personal period drama as opposed to you know being in a futuristic world with all kinds of crazy stuff going on or something to. Something to really play off. There's just a lot of really solid acting there. I would all, I would argue the same for Tom Hanks as well in the final Hawaii segment. But I think that, as Alex was saying, that benefits from having established him in other previous timelines and how that plays out. I think Ben Winshaw, he's coming from just one timeline and is able to create a character in a right. what is essentially like a 40 minute short film or what, however long if you add it up all the time would be. Also, you- the, the the Ben Winshaw character that timeline. One of my favorite shots in that movie, in the in his thing, is like the beginning of that segment when he like hops out of bed and he like hops. He's presumably about to hop out a window. It cuts away and the cut back is just people looking up as if he did hop out the window without you actually <laughs> having seen it. And that that's the kind of thing that always just makes me happy. It's like it's a little a little t- like a, a tinge of continuity that like implies something without you actually having to see it, especially something like jumping out of a window. I just right. the second time I saw it, I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> well, that's what I was saying about the independent nature of it is that they do these things where you're like, okay, that's obviously they, you know, they just weren't gonna go shoot that, but then it, you're like, it works, it works well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, oh, before I get to the the storyline stuff, I, I do want to echo Alex what you had said about the, um, I guess how the nature of storytelling. That's actually a really interesting idea that you bring up, yeah. and yeah, the 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 idea that you have all these, I guess stories and you know maybe your dad or your mom told you bedtime stories or these like old legend superstition stuff it's really interesting where does that come from how does that you know create itself and how does it withstand the test of time it's really amazing and then and so that's just a deeper i guess meaning of this film and a deeper idea concept that you can think about so Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's why I love this film, and that's why I'm defending this because I, I I feel like it 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 achieves that the fact that you can recognize that, and yet it shows you also that 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 it does that across these six stories. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, but I my my two favorite storylines uh is yeah it is the Ben Wishaw character uh, when he's playing um Robert Frobisher. Uh, and I think that one's devastating, not just because of how it ends, but in terms of his little contribution to the story is a piece of music that is, I guess, highly um, controversial just because of his his uh, confrontation with Jim Broadbent. Um, and so there are only like a handful of pieces of it in the world. And that's that's a sad idea in terms of what he could have accomplished, um, but only just to have like, you know, a handful in 
remaining in 1973 or whatever time. And the other storyline I liked a lot was, yeah, the Timothy Cavendish, and primarily because of the way that it was, I guess, uh, lighthearted, but also the way that it plays out toward the end um, about his love story. Uh, and yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I found that to be very endearing. And uh, I'm glad that it ended the way that it did. I could have understood if it ended a different way as well. But it's one of those things about, you know, uh, lost loves. And I, I, it's, it was, it's a sweet moment. And, uh, that was really nice. Although I did, <laughs> I did wonder, did he ever settle the debt with the, uh, the book writer <laughs> and, and his cronies that came to ambush him in his home? No, he, so, ran, he ran away to secret Susan Sarandon land, so he's fine. Is that, is, oh, okay, yeah, in Vermont, I guess, yeah. But yeah, that, that was, a, I really found that to be a, a nice one. Um, I think the lighting actually helped out a lot with that. I don't know why. The lighting's very nice and, uh, warm. Uh, it, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Let me let me say something about the Cavendish story. And I I had fun with that story. I I really laughed a lot with it. Even though Hugo Weaving's giant forehead made the nurse very awkward to look at. <laughs> but um, the and very broad chest. <laughs> yes, uh, all those things. Uh, but um, that one that one's like I was, I would almost put it at the bottom of the stories just because it it's not that it's not. I can see the, where the connections are, but it feels like the tone of that one just just so off-putting compared to the rest of the films. And I guess, yeah, you need... It's almost like having a comic relief character. You have a comic relief story within these six stories, but it's still like... There were times when it would cut back to that one, and I'm like, I'm into it as like a caper plot thing that's like lighthearted, but it's like it's kind of throwing me off from like the rest of the stories, which are basically super serious. Not that I need a super serious hyperlink story that you know needs to, needs to constantly be depressing me or what have you but yeah. I feel I, like, I rec- I'd like rec- I'd recommend the use of the word refreshing not off-putting I think it's refreshing okay <laughs> but not only that too I mean that film what's interesting too and it goes back to Alex's point about the nature of storytelling and the way that certain legends are formed you look at the movie you know the what was it the the ordeal of Timothy Cavendish or or I forget the castle ordeal or something yeah, but, yeah that one I mean, it's a really serious movie, a serious, hard, hard-hitting hard drama about this man, and yet it's being told in this really funny way. So that's another thing, you know, of, of how the way that something actually was ended up being transformed that's you know, true. over time and over the telling of it. It was lighthearted, and then it turns into this great drama. <laughs> the Lifetime movie, you know, effect. Right, yeah. <laughs> Which goes on to, you know trigger a life-altering event for this future god. So, it's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Can we have, the other one that I kind of put lower on the list of the stories that I enjoyed was is the um, the first one, the uh, 1849 set one. The uh, I like Jim Sturgis. I think he's fine. But yeah. I don't know. That story just didn't really hit, do anything for me. That but it's it's not, like, I think the, the conclusion of that story is awesome. I think you could have even, even have ended the film as opposed to using the bookend, you could have ended the film on the actual conclusion of that storyline where he, where there's this conversation that's had between yeah. a couple of family members. That was a really, it was yeah. an excellent sequence. Now, well, that certainly closes out the Hugo Weaving storyline uh, pretty well. What do you see the, I mean, they all, they end in sequence, I believe, right? The movie, doesn't it end? I think he's, I think he's, yeah, for the most part. I'm pretty sure his story concludes in sequence, like, uh, but, uh, much like how it begins, everything's connected. Um, but <laughs> I think what, what was distracting to me about that part is, I, is 
is where it's I guess where I could take the the rest of the or the this to us in this conversation is the makeup. It, it um I I get what they're doing and I had no problem with the idea of it. I have no problem at all with the idea of having different actors playing genders and races and roles like that. But when J- Jim Sturge's wife in that segment is the dude is the Dunabai character, I believe. It's the yeah. and it's that point where it bugged me also with Halle Berry as playing the the German Jewish wife of Jim Broadbent's character. Uh, it's did I need that to be that person? Like it felt it felt more distracting than just more than. Uh, you know what was cool about that? Uh, I think that any viewer who was gonna go see this, you could play a game with yourself, which is what I did. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna guess who each character in makeup is, and for the most part, I think I got like eighty percent right. It was really cool how they actually showed you which character played which okay, character at the end. Um, but I, to your point, Aaron, I, I don't know if it really bothered me as much because I thought that it was cool just to have the same characters playing different roles in each storyline. And even I was, uh, uh, I was actually pretty excited to learn that some of the characters that I thought weren't in this storyline were actually in the storyline. So I thought, I found that to be pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, again, I I like the idea, Kai, and I have no problem with it. It's just more of there there just seemed to be something awkward to be about having that person play that person in some instances. I think you definitely have a point. I mean, there some of the male to female, you know, characterizations were a bit odd. Um, and one of the things that I thought was really strange, and this kind of goes back a little bit to what Abe was talking about earlier, um, I felt some of the times when they had. Clearly, uh, actors that were clearly of Asian descent trying to play Caucasian characters, it, it just, that seemed a bit strange to me. I mean, ultimately, I, I went with it, but I thought it was just, it was kind of an odd choice. You know, that we don't, we didn't exactly have white folks playing, um, you know, African American, you know, people, we, we're not, we're not doing blackface here. So it just seemed <laughs> odd that they were going that route with, when well, they easily, easily gotten another actor or actress to play yeah. Caucasian characters. I mean, to Aaron's question early on, I mean, did you find it strange to have some Asian or some, I guess, Anglo actors playing somewhat Asian characters? It felt distracting at times just because I am familiar enough with certain actors' faces where I'm like, this is something. Like, yeah. Jim, especially like Jim Sturges, who I'm like, oh, that's just Jim Sturges and makeup, <laughs> but that's, it, it worked. It, he honestly he looked like Spike Spiegel to me after a while, especially when he's in like Spike Spiegel. I'm, I'm like when he's when he's in like uh when he's in the the, ice, the the truck thing and he's like wearing his jumpsuit. I'm like this is like Cowboy Bebop the movie right now, but um, <laughs> but uh, I mean it, yeah like Abe you mentioned the interrogator that that one was also like there's just something off about this and it's like again it's not like the performance doesn't necessarily suffer and I don't think that well I guess I mean in the realm of how much the movie suffers, it's minuscule, but it is, it's just something that seems apparent to me, and because of that, it I guess it, it slightly lessens the impact that something's having because of this, not that it takes away from what the intention is. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little, little odd. I, I never saw it that way, actually. I, I never saw it as, as it takes away from, I guess, some of the, the gravity of a moment in a, in a scene in the movie, because um, I, I kind of just went with it, and that's not because I wasn't paying attention to Holly Berry looking kind of like the Beauty and the Beast character from the te- television show during the, <laughs> during the, uh, the composer sequences. But I, I, I think that it was just, yeah, again, I found it neat, uh, to put it, I guess, more directly. It's just, 
it's neat that these characters are are in all these scenes. I get okay. So here's here's like another example I can use. Like remember the end of Harry Potter, the the last Harry Potter movie, and you have all the kids playing the adult versions of themselves. Oh yeah. It yeah. just felt like them playing dress up, and that's what it that's what it feels like in some of the cases here, where I get what they're doing, and I'm and it it's not necessarily an issue that I need to hold something on that, against, but like it feels like. The, the impact isn't as strong because I feel like it's just people playing dress up as opposed to these are people that just feel naturally cast in these roles. It's all, and it's all connected, Aaron. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think you got a point. I mean, I think they're definitely going to get you know, an Academy Award nomination for Best Makeup. And on some level, it's like, yeah, it's, it's totally deserved. But you're, you're right. There are occasions where it just feels like it's somebody trying to be something that they're not. And yeah, for sure, I'd love to see. I mean, aside from those ones, I think the makeup for a lot of these people is fantastic. Like, I think, like, like Tom Hanks at the very end, as much as, you know, as much as the old bones line is funny to me, like, him with that, 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 that gnarly scar and everything, like, that's yeah. really well yeah. done. There are things with, um, things with some of the ones that are, you know, a lot more like, hey, that is that person, actually. Like, those ones are like, oh, that's generally surprising. Um, I didn't. I'm not going to say Hugh Grant surprised me as the character he plays in the final segment. I'm just, no, I kind of, kind of but, recognize. But I'm not. No, I'm saying. Yeah, I'm saying I recognized him completely. But I was completely into the fact that he was playing that character, which also makes me want to shout out Hugh Grant because I think he was pretty good in this movie. So yeah, he is awesome. And I know he was like he was like last cast, I believe, in the movie too. Like he was like really? last minute in the movie. Well, it's great to see him actually stretching himself. I know he was like playing very much against type in terms of the. He's basically this. He's, he besides has, an English gentleman? Yes. Besides, 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 <laughs> an English uh, sort of gentleman. Uh, yeah, awkward, yeah, awkward sort of English gentleman who's like, oh, I have to do that. Like, it's, it's more of, <laughs> he, he's putting on, like, in a couple, and a lot of them, he's putting on the American accent, and he has the gnarly chin beard in the first segment, which is kind of awesome. And then he's playing completely different in the last two segments of, like, oh, that's who he is. <laughs> like, right. I, I was gonna say, in, I mean, I can't, I can't really tell you guys, you know, I can't really make up a, a, a case to say, oh, you know, you should just agree with the performances and the makeup. But what I was thinking watching it is that it reminds me of performance art on a stage level. And that, you know, you, you, you go see these one-off stage performances and this person plays every role. Or you see the kind of things where, uh, a Broadway performance where, you know, the supporting actors have to play 10 different roles throughout the thing. And everyone just has to play roles. And, and I, and that's what I'm saying. I can't defend it because it's, I think it's partially a financial decision, but also partially, um, a, a performance decision. But at the same time, like, as long as you can think and believe and are not putting your mind in the point where you're trying to recognize people and you're just going along with it and getting lost in it and, Watching everyone and so on, then I then I feel like it's an accomplishment in that way, and that's so that's my that's sort of my response to that and all the all the negativity around some of the makeup and everyone hates Tom Hanks's uh um uh what's his uh, the the uh like the doctor character no 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 the the, the um. I was say that like the gangster guy from oh, oh. I like that one a lot like if they had more of that guy I'd be yeah. I know, but I mean, everyone, like, I, when I first saw it, there were all these responses just claiming, like, um, uh, Hanks just was, it was like just goofy and he just didn't fit in it. But I'm like, that's, that's a matter of your personal ability to disconnect from Tom Hanks as Tom Hanks and to follow him into the characters in each and every role. And sometimes the character's so limited, like his, uh, his, um, uh, like the hotel manager guy. 
But other characters like that one, you can just, it's like you don't need to say, oh, this is Tom Hanks. I can say, okay, this is, you know, Dermot, and he's this guy, and he's he looks like a badass, and he does his thing, and it's fun to watch. The thing, too, I mean, it's, it's, I think it is goofy. I mean, it is clearly yeah. goofy. But whether or not you think that's a bad thing yeah. is is where the, the line is. I mean, yeah, it's Tom Hanks. Yeah, it's kind of weird to see him as this, you know, this gangster type of guy, but then what he actually does with it, it's, it's, you know, it's one of the, the best moments of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Alright. Hey. But Tom Hanks' character is, is actually really interesting too, it's just, uh, I think his character, or I guess his, his spirit, soul, I don't know, uh, takes on the most different characters in the movie, which is interesting, cause, uh, he... you see him as like, a very gentle soul, and then you see him as a very, uh, fiendish, and then also very uh, scallywaggy. Um, so it's interesting. I, I think his was the most, uh, I guess, dynamic. I think. I think Alex, to your point about respect, respecting it on like a theatrical kind of level, it's like it. I again, I I get it, and I like I I see what they want to do, and I see what why choices were made. It's more, I guess, which is similar to when I see like adaptations of plays put into movies, and some of them feel more staged than others. It's the same kind of thing here where, like, I'm willing to go along with it. It's just I still know it's happening. And so in yes. the back of my mind, it's still something that's, I guess, playing into how I'm accepting the scene as well. I don't know. It's tricky to explain, I guess. It's just, like, yeah. one thing makes more sense to me than something else on, on, a, on, a, on a, I don't know, contextual level in my mind where I'm trying to, like, I want to be into it, but, like, there's just something slightly throwing me off. Mm-hmm. Something else I think is really interesting, too. When you watch the trailer, you get the sense this is like the ultimate Buddhist movie, you know, where we're going like <laughs> total reincarnation. <laughs> it's like we're gonna watch this guy across the decades. Um, but to be honest, I mean, once I started watching the movie, I mean, I really was able to put, push a lot of that aside. I mean, you guys were talking about well, the arc of this character and the arc of that character, but I found in my own experience as I watched the film, I was really just watching each individual story kind of for what it. For what it was, because I had some some colleagues that were also in Toronto and, and saw the film, and, and they'd kind of chewed me off that the stories don't connect quite in the way that you'd think they would. Like you're kind of expect, you, in most films, you'd expect that big, you know, m- uh, ensemble movie moment where all of a sudden everything kind of comes together. And the fact that you don't get that, I think, is really uh, a terrific choice. But I really just kind of got into the individual stories on that level, which surprised me. I was expecting to kind of, you know track the evolution of a human soul. You know, something um, that's interesting about that is... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's alright. I was pretty much done. Was, yeah. But something that uh, you had brought up uh, that I kind of disagree with the, about the movie is just, I guess, being beaten over the head with uh, a message. Um, and I think that it wasn't as if it was truly beating me over the head. You know, like every other scene, they're, they're saying that we're all interconnected, um, every person that you meet, whatever, whatever, whatever. But I think that, that I heard the message enough that I was thinking to myself, you know, it would have been really nice if they left it on a note of, oh, this is the message she's broadcasting. Wow, that's really profound. That's deep. And instead, I think you've heard it actually about three or four times before that. So it's not that it's a huge takeaway. It's just more of, I think, it, if it's trying to achieve something of trying to tell you about this Buddhist Zen stuff, um, it really could have been, I guess, handled differently, just in my point of view. What, what, that's, 
that's similar to something I, another, not an issue, but something I just noticed about the movie is like a movie like this, which is, you know, epic and expansive and has, you know, all these different stories and things going on for having all that. There isn't a whole lot it's trying to say necessarily. I think there's like some clear themes, like I, and I, you know, a lot of it revolves around, you know, uh, the, the system's morally corrupt in some ways and someone needs to rise up against it kind of. Wait, the Wachowskis have never done that. Yeah, before. exactly. That's totally new. Yeah, and it's something. Yeah, that's that was what I was going to say next. And it's like it's not something that the Wachowskis haven't explored before in their past films. Right. In all of them, actually. <laughs> but uh, but then again, that's a very, that's a pretty universal theme in a lot of ways. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, coming, I, I'm coming away more with the reason I'm think. I guess the, what I want to say is the reason I'm think I'm still thinking of the movie is based on just how these stories connect to themselves, and not necessarily why they connect to themselves. I think too. I mean, you're looking at the movie, and and uh, oh crap! I totally lost where I was going with that. <laughs> Shoot. Happens to the best of us. Well, Adam. Okay. Well, while you're thinking of it, to your point of maybe not expect, or if people are, if the movie's not necessarily connecting in ways that people were expecting it to, I guess it would have been nice to see a Magnolia scene where they all sing the same song at the same time together. That's true. Right? That's true. That's true. That's I, I, I figured out what I, was, what I was going for, but um, I mean, yeah, I mean the. I, I can understand a little bit of what Abe is, is pointing out. I mean, some of the, the, the message of the movie is very much, if you will, a hippie ideal about, you know, peace, love, and brotherhood. And so I mean, the themes aren't that terribly complicated or complex. It's not, you know, we're not looking at, you know, a film that's trying to track, you know, you know, how does a, a good person be, uh, do bad things or something of that nature that you can right. really get into a lot of, a lot of meat on a, a philosophical level. Um, so, I mean, the ideals aren't that complicated, but it's really in the construction of the story that I think that the movie, that the, the film's strengths really come out. But I think what makes this film, really sets this film apart, isn't that, isn't that it's trying to change the world with the themes that it's covering, but that it's maybe trying to shoot some holes in the way that contemporary audiences look at uh, narrative structure um, mm. through the way that the story is being told. Because that really bugs me a lot when I, I know that a lot of people, and indeed some of the people at the screening that I uh, attended, uh, I, a lot of people have issues with the movie because of the way it tells the story, because it, it dares to be different. And uh, I just, that really bothers me that people would, would try to make a case that the film is defective or the, something's not right with the film because it tries to do something in it uh, that actually challenges you a little bit, and you have to do a little bit of work to stay with the movie. I think that's a positive thing. And so, you know, I, I, I'm already kind of bristling against some of the, the criticisms I know some people have leveled, and I hope that, regardless of the film's success, the, uh, you know, filmmakers will not be dissuaded from, you know, trying to go out there with studio money or, you know, a lot of independent money, you know, financing, and, and trying to make a big statement. I want to uh, I want to wrap this the, the review up. So does anyone have any Adam's gone? Does anyone have any last things to say about a uh, Cloud Atlas? Definitely go see it and yeah. uh, think about it. Give it a chance, yeah. Like tr- just try to get into the stories and enjoy it and and make what you will of it on your own. But you know, I think it's as we as we've covered in depth already that it's just it's it's the kind of experience that you can find little pieces of and enjoy moments of and just connect with yourself if you want or just enjoy as a as a big uh ambitious cinematic accomplishment so to yeah. say cool. all right so and also uh don't be put off by the time because i think it, it flows yeah. pretty 
Yeah. Okay. So um, I want to get the get the rating gun. So each week on Out Now, Fair and A, we try to rate movies based on when you should go and see them. And we have a scale that goes from IMAX to theater, dollar theater, Netflix, HBO, TV, or just kind of forget about it. Alex, on that scale, where would you put Cloud Atlas? <laughs> well, I'd put it at the very, very top, but that sounds like it's IMAX, but I don't that is really IMAX. support IMAX right now. But in terms of your rating scale, IMAX. But... Yeah, it's the, it's the more the rating scale as opposed to, yeah. 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 Adam? Um, I'm leaning IMAX-ish, which is rare for me, uh, just because I try to save that for something that just is completely just transcendent. So I'll go with theater with a nod in the IMAX direction. Okay. Abe? <laughs> I'd say solid theater. Um, I don't know if I was completely super, super, super blown away. Uh, but yeah, I am. Yeah, definitely theater. I, yeah, I say definite theater as well. And the, I can't emphasize that. We haven't talked much about the score, but the score is pretty fantastic in this movie. And oh, just yeah, kind yeah. of the, the yeah. sound design in general. It's a, the, I mean, we focus so much on the, you know, everything being connected to stories and actors and whatnot, but the production values of this movie for being, you know, an independent movie where they have to work within the realms, clearly the Wachowskis have expanded upon, and Tom Zicker have expanded upon Robert, Re, Robert Rodriguez's 10-minute film schools because they have made the best with what they had. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it works well. So, um, okay, let's move on. Let's get to movie callback. Callback, callback, callback. This is where we just bring up a few films that we might have thought that relate to the main feature of the week. I'm sure Clyde Atlas brought a few films to mind in general. I know I have an assortment, but uh, Adam? Um, well, it's hard not to think about uh, something like The Matrix, obviously. Uh, it's tricky to not think about Blade Runner. Um, another one that kind of comes to mind a little bit is The Road, just with the whole post-apocalyptic mm, yeah. um, setting and whatnot. So those are my my takeaways. Uh, Alex, um, on the I'll just say again because this is so easy to make a connection. Speed Racer at first, uh, but that's again because I love the Wachowskis and I love um, I love their visuals. And uh, Speed Racer, the 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 Neo Soul sequence reminds me of that a lot. Oh. Um, I'm pretty sure they use the same effects house. But the one I really want to mention is the fountain. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's it's but the thing is I'll say I, it reminds me of it. But I can argue how the fountain is completely different, and there's a lot of people who I've even seen statements coming out where they're like, "So Cloud Atlas was just the fountain," and that's ridiculous. I think they're completely yeah. different movies and and have so much to offer in their own ways. But I can also see the connection between you know three timelines and you know love across time and all that stuff. So those are the two I'll say. If uh, something that Alex said that I agree with is is I found a lot of references, but no real movie that directs, that really directly relates to Cloud Atlas. I actually found this to be really difficult this week. Um, I couldn't really think of any, I mean, besides the, the Matrix and Speed Racer for the visuals, but it was really difficult to to kind of find one movie that, that encompasses some some of the similar themes and topics. So I, I really couldn't find any. Um, if besides, like, I, for the score, I liked True Grit because I still remember a lot of the True Grit score, and I still remember a lot of the Cloud Atlas score. Huh. All right. Oh, a True Grit poll. Yeah, that was. But <laughs> yeah. uh, just the music, yeah, it's, it's very nice. The uh, I thought of a lot of movies just in terms of kind of bits and pieces of Cloud Atlas, and I'm like, oh, huh, huh, thought of that. And so you know, I got um, Apocalypto came to mind. So Soiling Green's directly referenced, which makes sense. Uh, mm-hmm. Matrix, Blade Runner, Equilibrium came to mind. The, fa- yeah. the Fountain, mm-hmm. as we talked about. Uh, Solaris jumped in there. 2001, I thought, was actually one that was like... Oh, was... 
And then, like, in the the, the 70s stuff, I thought of a lot of, like, black exploitation kind of movies with, like, Halle Berry starring in it, like, Coffee or Shaft. <laughs> <laughs> so you need to go more down that route, I think. Even, even Keith David, like, his role in the Halle Berry spec, he, he reminded me of Shaft in that movie, in that section. Shaft! <laughs> yeah, right. Priceline negotiator! Thank you. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's get to the box office this week. Um, we didn't make any predictions last week because we are honestly at a loss for what we thought Cloud Atlas would do. And I think it's because we didn't expect it to do much, and that turned out to be the case. Cloud Atlas comes in at third place for now with, like, $9.4 oh, wow. uh, it's, it's between that and Hotel Transylvania right now. Like, Hotel Transylvania is, like, 9.5. I'm going by box office million. It's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, right now it's his third. Like, Ar- Argo is a... Based on real is not prediction. <laughs> Our Argo's at first again, so that's something. We all liked Argo, so that helps. Um, and then everything else that debuted just bombed horribly. Silent Hill, which no one wanted to see to begin with, apparently, <laughs> may have managed to make some money. Fun Size, which I'm, I'm still pretty sure is about the journey of a baby Ruth bar to somewhere. I, I think that, that, came, that came at the bottom. Chasing Mavericks, a surfer movie with Gerard Butler, didn't even make the top ten. It's just a disaster, that movie, it looks like, so. And Alex Cross found a way to pull in five movies. Yeah, Alex Cross, is, you know, dude, people still crossed Alex Cross this weekend, so that's still making money. So sad, so sad. But, uh, yeah, Cloud Atlas, not a movie I expected to make a ton of movie money, but uh, I'll be curious to see what the international figures are for that one. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. what's the schedule like uh, on an international scale? Does I mean, have, have they rolled months? out? <laughs> okay, so they're doing a kind of a slow rollout, huh? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know who has the rights overseas, but I've, I've received a lot of messages to get pissed off because there's European people who say it doesn't come out until January. Holy crap. Yeah. Which is, it doesn't make sense because it's going to be pirated and everyone's talking about it and yeah. that much yeah. of a delay is like painful for them. I will throw out something that's kind of interesting. Um, uh, when it comes down to popular opinion and whatnot. Uh, after the Toronto screenings, I, sadly, because I was not in Toronto, uh, was on uh, IMDb Pro trying to just to track people's reactions to kind of get a sense of what was going on. And for a while, Cloud Atlas was actually scoring higher with a larger number of votes than the Master was. It's a mm-hmm. total aside, but I found that was really fascinating because, you know, I felt that Cloud Atlas would be a lot more divisive than something like the Master, which has been pretty well uh, well liked. Um, though not I don't. Either. I don't know. I think it's the other way around. The master is really divisive. Well, I think. I think now it's really divisive. I think a lot of yeah. people were. But at least for right that, that people, people early, at that time, that early in the yeah. game, everybody, everybody was in love with the master because it's a new PTA film and it has great actors. I was in love with it. <laughs> well, thank you. I'm with you all the way. I was, I was mixed on it. Well, no, I think I, I think in love with the idea of a new PTA film coming out, opposed to Cloud yeah. coming out. I think one. Look, I mean, one looks like a. Initially, you're coming at you know PTA is coming off of There Will Be Blood and you know a pedigree of other movies, and then now you have this like you have this weird like six story what the hell is going on movie. It's like <laughs> when you you'll put those together, I, I feel like more people will be like, I want to go see the master before I want to go see this. After the fact, yes. Now that we both now that we've all seen both movies, I mean, there's certainly room to argue what which one succeeded. That was just just a total aside. I thought it was really interesting that the movie that appeared to be a lot more divisive initially ended up trending a lot higher. Yeah. Maybe not, but to be fair, not a lot higher, but right. still. So it's still significant. Alright, so yeah. let's, let's uh, move on. A, B, we have time? Do, I think we do have some time for some games. That, of course, is the 
<laughs> the weekly new theme for games. And um, I have a new game, guys. It is called Everything is Connected. Oh! I know. Wow. I'll <laughs> So basically I have a series of questions here that are all connected. You'll be able to pretty much pick it up, so I'm just going to start. Okay, it, there's, uh, I guess whoever gets the most questions right, but I have a whole thing here, so we'll see. All right. They're all movie questions. They're pretty simple, maybe. We'll see. Cloud Atlas stars Tom Hanks. What Hanks film has him playing a non-Hanks-like persona opposite Catherine Zeta-Jones? Terminal. The Terminal is correct. The wonderful film. Wonderful. Catherine Zeta-Jones once found herself moving between lines in a very elegant way in this film. Entrapment? Entrapment is correct. (laughs) Entrapment co-starred Ving Rhames, who was once in this Hyperlink film, which spans several days in Los Angeles. Heat? Is not easy. Really? Yeah, I was thinking of that too. <laughs> a hyperlink uh, film in a few days in LA. Crash? I don't know. Pulp Fiction is the answer. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, it's not a hyperlink film. Come on. It kind of is. <laughs> That's kind of a stretch there, Mr. Newer. Okay. <laughs> Pulp Fiction featured Bruce Willis, who found himself in a futuristic setting dealing with crooks outside his front. Fifth element. And a tricky process of obtaining a multi-pass in this film, The Fifth Element. Fifth Element. Too easy. The Fifth Element featured Chris Tucker, who was once found as a part of a team of bank robbers in this film. Dead Presidents? It is Dead Presidents. Abe's on the board. (laughs) Dead Presidents featured Keith David, who was also in Cloud Atlas, but was also in this racially charged hyperlink film. Crash? It is Crash. David was in Crash? Everyone was in Crash, Abe. Yeah. <laughs> Crash. <laughs> Crash had Don Cheadle, who once teamed up with this group of guys looking to score in this heist film. Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven. Ocean's Eleven is correct. Ocean's Eleven. In oh. your face, Abe. Ocean's Eleven also featured Brad Pitt, who once found himself stuck on the couch while many people faced off in a Mexican standoff at the Beverly Ambassador Hotel. Uh, Inglourious Bastards. Is this like assassination of Jesse James or something? Found himself stuck on the couch while many people faced half yeah. in a Mexican standoff at the Beverly Ambassador Hotel. Oh, the, the Mexican standoff came through me out. The Mexican? True romance is the answer. I <laughs> stuck on the couch. Yeah. Stuck on the couch? I'm going to withdraw my answer. <laughs> He's just Floyd. He just sits on the couch all day. <laughs> True romance, among others. Okay, sorry, I read that wrong. True romance also starred, among others, Val Kilmer who was once a part of this self-aware neo-noir. Um, kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang? Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang is the answer I was looking for. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang featured Robert Downey Jr., who starred in this insane, as an insane method actor in this movie about the making of a movie. <laughs> Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder also featured Ben Stiller, who once worked as the assistant to a high-strung P.I. in this quirky noirish comedy. This one's more obscure. Uh... Shoot, was he in that Starsky and Hutch movie? He was, but that's not the answer. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> a, a, a P.I.? Hmm. I don't know. It is Zero Effect. Zero Effect is a really cool movie. Seen it. Seen it. Uh, Zero Effect has Bill Pullman. He plays the main character in that movie. Bill Pullman starred in this romantic comedy about a love triangle where one of the... one of the While you were sleeping. Wow, you got it. Well, one of the corners is a coma patient. Unless Adam sees where I'm going with this. While you were sleeping, had Sandra Bullock acting all kinds of ridiculous in Crash, but she also acted all kinds of sad in this recent drama based on a past tragedy. 
shoot. The, the, the one where she had... Oh, the flashback one. Crap. Uh, I know the movie, but I can't remember the title. Are you extremely close to learning what the title is? I'm not looking it up. I'm not cheating. That's what you mean. Are you, are you, are, but you, are, you are you incredibly close to what you think it might be? Oh, uh, it's not Awakening. That's the other movie. Flashback. Incredibly close and incredibly loud. I don't know. One of those. Extremely loud and incredibly yeah. close. <laughs> I, was I saw what you were movie. doing there, Aaron. I was, I was trying totally to put it together. And bringing us back yeah. to the beginning, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close featured Tom Hanks, who once starred in this multifaceted drama about a man making a choice to be with the one he loves, while his friends and themselves find themselves having a similar adventure during the same night. Choice Story... I don't know. It's, of course, Bachelor <laughs> Party. So, okay, that's how you play. Everything is connected. <laughs> Woo-hoo! That was a cool game. Everything yeah. is connected. Okay. Um, let's... Okay, let's move. Ooh. What are we going to talk about next week? Eh? We're going to talk about next week. Is, wait next a minute, week wait a minute, wait. Just, 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 just a second here. Yes. Are we? Get, are we not going to go over the score here? Are right. we not going to talk about prizes? Because I don't know about you, but I never got the prize from the other game <laughs> many months ago. Because I have, I'm just holding the speed to the fire here. Yeah. I, I, okay, Adam, you did win the summer wager. That is just checking. You will. Checking. You you do have a prize coming. Just checking. Just saying. Right now, you have a prize coming. But uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you that one, Adam. You, you I think you I think you nailed the most answers in this one. Just you know, I only have two hands. I needed a pat on the back. I want yeah, to that's exactly what your price is going to be—a pat on the back. Yes. Way to go! <laughs> it's a it's a. I'm gonna you know give you a little knock on the chin. It'll be nice. Oh, moving on. We're gonna talk. Uh, yeah, next week. Yeah, that's tough. There's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff coming out. And I think. I think we're going to have to do, like, a bunch of episodes. Yeah, we might have some mini ones coming on, but I think our main episode is going to be Wreck-It Ralph next week. Yes, it is. And um, Wreck-It Ralph, of course, the movie about John C. Riley as Wreck-It Ralph inside a video game who, you know, wants to move on to other video games and not be a bad guy anymore. But with that said, let's uh, try to predict the box office next week for Wreck-It Ralph, which we always do. Um, Keep in mind the other movies that are coming out that weekend as well. It's like Flight, right? Yeah, Flight, which is R-rated, R-rated drama. A Man with the Iron Fist will probably not make that much money. And also, Wreck-It Ralph comes out on double the theaters of both of them. So, <laughs> Wreck-It Ralph, Disney movie, animated, looks appealing to the geek culture as well as kids and families. What do we think Wreck-It Ralph could do next weekend? Any any thoughts, Adam? Got any idea? Uh, first place, I'll say 30. First and 30. Alex, you got a thought? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to say first and 40, maybe. I mean, I'd have to go research what that normal run is that weekend. Because November, the first no- weekend of November is usually pretty good. Yeah, we're, all, we're, we're, we're pretty much all about not researching before we make predictions for No, 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 I know, I know. I'm <laughs> just saying, like, I don't, I'm, I don't like predicting box office because there's so many factors like that that come into play. Like, what was, you know, it, it can only make so much on November 2nd because no, the, that weekend only makes so much anyway. Our show's too haphazard to really care. <laughs> <laughs> then go with what I said. First in 40. 42. That's fair, yeah. 42.5. 42.2? That was actually going to be near my oh. guess. So I'm going to go a little higher, I guess. I'll say first in 45 because it looks good. Oh, man. I'm going to go crazy high. I'm going to go first place 50. 50. All right. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, we'll see. It's gonna reach it. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It. We'll that see. just happened. Right see now. how that turns out. Unless the RZA like does a lot of pumping for a man with the iron fist and like gets it up there. <laughs> Wu Tang Clan ain't nothing to fuck with Abe. That's. <laughs> they also performed live on Jimmy Kimmel. And you know, you know how he back up the budget for that movie. Uh, I don't know. He diversified his bonds through Wu Tang Financial. Ah. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. So. 
yeah, that's uh, we're going to talk about Wreck-It Ralph next week and probably have some other things going on as well. But, we'll, you know, that, that, that'll be our main show. Um, so, anyway, that's going to do it this week for Out Now, Baron and Abe. Uh, you can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodazeek.com, where you can find all my written movie reviews, as well as at whysoblue.com for Blu-ray reviews. And you can find me, of course, at Twitter, at twitter.com slash aaronsps3. Abe? Uh, you can find more fun stuff at walrusmoose.blogspot.com and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Adam? You can find more of me at moviesmackdown.com at my personal blog, Things I Know About the Movies, located at www.everythingyouallwayswantedtoknow.blogspot.com and at my Twitter account, which is twitter.com slash iltwinanarchist. And Alex? Uh, I'm at firstshowing.net and on Twitter as at firstshowing. Great. And, of course, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, as well as at hhwlod.com. It is the podcast network that is happy to host our show, as well as a number of other shows, including the Walking Dead TV podcast, which I am currently writing episode weekly episode summaries for to help those guys out, because they're a bunch of friendly guys that I like, and I'm happy to you know be a part of the network. Um, outnow.podomatic.com, most of the newest episodes and some exclusives are there. I just posted a interview or a Q&A with John Carpenter from Screamfest in L.A. last week. Um, let's see. We have our, Abe, you want to explain our OutNow YouTube page once again? Yeah, our, our, our OutNow YouTube page is essentially if you want to cut through and just get to the main review of uh, the movies that we do every week, you can check out uh, youtube.com slash outnowpodcast, and that's where the main review will be. Just the main review, nothing else. Um, also, outnowpodcast at gmail.com. What did you think of Claude Atlas? What did you think of the various performances or various themes going on? We'd be happy to hear those thoughts from fellow outies and, um, you know, read them on the show and what have you. And any other questions, concerns you might have. Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast and twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. You can follow and like those pages and, you know, we're happy to, we post all the episodes and what have you. We you know, update it often and frequently. So, you know, feel free to be a part of that. Um, that's, that's it. Thanks, guys, for coming on. Thanks, Alex. New, new, you know, we're all we Yeah, guys. no, thank you for having me on, guys. I'm really, sure. I'm really glad I got to talk about Clouds. Yeah. And uh, Adam, as always, always a pleasure to have you as well. Always a pleasure to be here. Great. And uh, until next time, so long. And goodbye.
You don't you don't see color. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Every, everything yeah, I'm I'm like Stephen Colbert. <laughs> hey, guess what? I'm black. I'm sorry. Oh my god. <laughs> that explains that shade of gray that I see when I see you. 